This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Brett Baer. It is election day in Georgia once again as the runoff between Senator Raphael Warnock and football legend Herschel Walker comes to its long-awaited conclusion. Got to have turnout, got to have people to turn out, got to have people to vote. If people turn out to vote, we're going to win this election, and they know it. Here's why you know I want this job. This is the fifth time my name has been on the ballot in less than two years for the same doggone job. Senator Warnock and Democrats are making the pitch to voters that Herschel Walker is unfit for office. Meanwhile, Walker and Republicans are making the case that despite Democrats have the majority, there is a major difference between holding 50 and 51 Senate seats. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, and editor of The Spectator at Large and host of the Ben Dominich podcast, Ben Dominich. You know, it, it does seem like it comes down to the wire. These polls are within the margin of error, but seem to lean towards Raphael Warnock. A runoff, though, Ben, is a different animal, and we don't know until you see who shows up on runoff day. <laughs> you know, I've been talking to Republicans uh, about this issue and about uh, and to other observers as well in Georgia, and the they've really swung back and forth throughout this entire runoff in terms of the momentum that they saw in on either side. I do think that there's generally a consensus that this runoff is not something that Herschel Walker wanted to be part of uh, in this context. He had hoped that Brian Kemp would be able to haul him over the finish line without having to go through this experience. And certainly you have to give the advantage to the incumbent in this moment. Uh, the real question is whether the political uh, play of uh, someone as popular as Brian Kemp, who has been out there stumping for Herschel, uh, emphatically uh, making the case that uh, voters really ought to understand that a 51-seat Senate means uh, a lot in terms of what Democrats can do uh, and that they ought to you know, vote for him to avoid that. It's just a question of whether that really has some resonance and whether Republican voters, after a 2022 midterm that didn't turn out the way a lot of them expected, are depressed in this moment. Right. And Tom, it, it seems like um, that this is, is pretty tight, depending on, you know, you compare it to the general election, uh, who showed up. And really, the big figures, President Joe Biden and former President Donald Trump, haven't been factors on this runoff campaign. 
No, they haven't. They've both been keeping their distance. Uh, I think, you know, perhaps one of them voluntarily and one of them involuntarily. But uh, look, you, you have to say, given the evidence that we have, the polling data, I mean, you know, on November 8th, Herschel Walker went into that that race leading by, uh, you know, a point and a half in our average. Every poll had him ahead and he ended up losing by almost a, an, an entire percentage point. And now you've got a situation where we've had 10 polls that have been taken over the last uh, three weeks. And every single one of them shows Raphael Warnock with a lead of anywhere from two to five points. It's a 3.7% average lead over Herschel Walker. He's at 51%. So, I mean, given what happened on November 8th, and as Ben said, you know, adding in the the complication that that I think Republicans are disappointed from the results on November 8th and may be depressed, uh, you know, and Democrats seem more energized at the moment. And and I think they place more importance on having 51 than, than Republicans are placing on having a, you know, a 50-50 tie and still not having control. So I think for all those reasons, you got to think that that Raphael Warnock uh, is the heavy favorite heading into today. And Susan, and for that 5149, it does make a difference. It makes a difference as far as getting the Biden agenda through. Obviously, they'll have a Republican House, but uh, they would have committees with one more member. They would have the ability su- to subpoena in investigations in the Senate as opposed to a, a split in all of those committees with Republicans. Yeah, it does. It's it, it makes a big difference. The committee majority will help them get uh, uh, legislation to the floor without having to go through some additional parliamentary steps. Uh, it would reduce the influence of Senator Manchin, uh, who has been you know king of the Senate for two years, because you could lose Manchin and still, with the help of Vice President Harris's vote, get something through the Senate with just Democrats. So Democrats care about getting the 51st vote. And I think Republicans don't care so much about getting the 50th vote. You know, there are some Republican voters uh, in Georgia who have not been enthusiastic about Herschel Walker. Lots of personal scandals in his in his past, some mystifying rhetoric on the stump. When they were making the argument that control of the Senate was at stake in the general election, I think that helped persuade some reluctant uh, Republican and independent voters to support him. You can't make that argument in this runoff. There were, though, been uh, some Republicans who voted for Warnock and for Republican Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. Now Kemp is on the campaign trail or has been for Warnock, cut, I mean, for uh, Walker and cut ads for him, has been on the stump. Uh, you wonder whether that changes the dynamic with some of those people. It really is a test of how powerful uh, Brian Kemp's support really is, because I think that you know you can see that big number. But one question that I think you have to ask is how much of that is due to the popularity of Brian Kemp and how much of it was due to the lackluster performance of Stacey Abrams, who Georgia voters had just soured on after nationalizing uh, her you know election uh, previously and having you know really gone after the state and said a lot of things that I think uh, angered voters. You know, there is the, that question of uh, what those ticket splitters who, uh, you know, had that uh, opportunity to make that choice uh, outside of the context of Senate uh, control necessarily, what they do now. And it's hard to see them coming out and, and casting another vote uh, for Herschel Walker, despite the fact that Kemp is urging them vociferously to do so. And just to the point about the absence of uh, the uh, president and former president from the campaign trail, 
One thing that was repeatedly said to me uh, by conservatives in Georgia is that they would have loved to have Joe Biden come down to the state. They think it would have really helped them in this race. And the fact that he's stayed away, I think it's a smart move on his part. No matter what happens, Tom, uh, today, Georgia has changed. It used to be bright red. Then it became kind of purple. It is turning purplish blue, it seems. Democrats want to move it up, or at least the Biden side of the party wants to move it up in the primary schedule, have South Carolina first, move up Georgia and Michigan in the schedule of primaries and caucuses. Um, It's interesting to see an evolution of a state like this. It is. And, and you know, people have short memories and, and forget that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Ohio and Missouri were considered the bellwethers. And before that, it was Illinois and California. I mean, it's it we you know, we go through these cycles and even Virginia, for example, is a state that really is is an uphill battle for for Republicans these days. Georgia's going through something similar. But I, I, I think that over the last couple of cycles, Georgia is an example of where Democrats I'm not sure how much the state has shifted ideologically as opposed to how Democrats have simply out-organized and out-strategized and out-hustled Republicans on on registering voters, getting them to the polls early, banking all of those early votes. We saw that play uh, a big role in this election. I think Georgia was at the forefront of that with Stacey Abrams last cycle, and and it, it proved to be uh, enough to get this thing to a runoff once again in an environment again that that was not good for Democrats nationally, um, but but they managed to, to pull it off. Yeah. And looking ahead, Susan, next cycle, Democrats are on the defense. Uh, they're defending 23, I think, seats, um, some of them in very red places or have turned red. Uh, so this seat actually is a big deal for Democrats in that way, too, uh, trying to minimize losses next cycle. Yeah, well, it'd be helpful. Obviously, every Senate vote, every Senate seat counts. But man, Democrats are in big trouble in in two years. Uh, You look at the states that are up, uh, the swing states, uh, the red states that I mean, they just say have more than twice as many uh, seats that they hold up against uh, versus the Republicans. Uh, So you know, you, of course, who knows what's going to happen in the 2024 presidential race? That'll have some influence. But but uh, uh, if the, if Democrats want to hold the Senate and get some things done, they got to do it fast. Yeah. Ben, last thing on issues. Uh, today, the president was asked uh, by our own Peter Ducey about him going to Arizona and why going to that state. Don't you take time to go to the border? Uh, he said that there are more important issues. Um, paraphrasing uh, in his answer. Um, For Arizona, it doesn't seem like there are that many more important issues. For a lot of those border states, it's an issue that is dominating. Uh, Even Democrats talking about that, Senator Mark Kelly, uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema and others. Uh, What about that answer and how it plays big picture on the issue of immigration? I think it's a, a very obvious dodge, and uh, and the dismissiveness of his tone on this, I think, is really a, a problem that is going to come around and, and hurt Democrats two years from now in those very swing states that Susan just mentioned. Because 
the fact is that their border policy has really been to look in the other direction. Um, there's no question that the failure of uh, Secretary Mayorkas is something that's a front of mind for a lot of Democrats who are trying to hold on in purple or red states where this is a major issue and is only continuing to be, uh, you know, as uh, as our own Bill Malugin has reported, you know, from the border over the last several months, a continual issue for the communities in those areas. Uh, and I think that the, the dismissiveness in tone does not serve the president or his party well. In, in terms of elevating this, uh, they cannot avoid it, I think, is an issue. Uh, and they need to figure out what their message is actually going to be, because I expect the new Republican House to lean heavily uh, into these questions. All right. We're going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. There is a last ditch effort, uh, Tom, in the lame duck uh, to try to get a deal uh, for the dreamers specifically. These are the kids of illegal immigrants uh, here in the U.S. And there's been a lot of talk about what to do. Uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema and Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina have kind of framework together that is getting a, a look in the Senate. But you wonder if they can get something across the finish line before a Republican House comes in and thwarts all of that. I'm typically a cynic in regards to things like this. And, and my bias is that, you know, things, um, unless the incentives align, that that nothing will get done. Um, so I, I don't know about that. But I let me go back to what Ben and Susan just said. I mean, listen, immigration was a huge issue in the Arizona race, as you mentioned, Brett. I mean, Mark Kelly was on defense on immigration and and kept saying, well, he's trying to get, you know, he disagreed with Biden on the issue. He didn't pay a political price for it. And you look at these states that are up in 2024, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada. Um, you look at places like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Um, you know, the Democrats did not pay a price for a president whose approval rating was in the mid to low 40s in most of these states. Eight percent inflation. Now, obviously, some of that had to do with with Dobbs and, and abortion playing a role. But, uh, you know, I just don't know that that suddenly uh are things going to be that different, particularly if Republicans don't compete on early vote and, and unless they get their act together in some of these states, I, you know, to me, I look at that map and I think, yeah, it's, it's not great for Democrats, but it doesn't automatically mean based on what happened just a few weeks ago that that Democrats are are, you know, going to going to get wiped out. I mean, I think we've got to reevaluate that based on uh, the performance in November. Right. But, Tom, as you look now, weeks later, and obviously you mentioned Roe versus Wade and the Dobbs decision and how that factored in. But how else do you explain it? I mean, do you think the threat to democracy, the focus on not naming, but essentially naming uh, former President Trump on January 6th in the Democrats' clothes had something to do with it? Is that what, why you're seeing that Trump inflation and maybe immigration and crime and other issues that we thought were on the Republicans' column? I think it's a combination of things. I think the abortion issue played stronger than than the pre-election polls indicated. Um, 
particularly in certain states where there were referenda on the ballot. I think it was partially candidate quality and the fact that some of these Trump-backed candidates uh, did not. They ran way behind governors, uh, popular incumbent Republican governors. Their favorable ratings were were lower than their opponents. And so it was a combination of factors. To me, the biggest surprise was independents who functioned um, on Election Day, unlike they had in any previous cycle. I mean, independents always, almost always go with the out party. They vote for change. And again, particularly in an environment where you've got inflation, uh, which was the number, still the number one issue, uh, and and a low presidential approval rating and the right track, wrong track. I mean, you you name the metric. The fact that they didn't vote with Republicans uh, is should give Republicans serious pause. They need to adjust their their messaging and their tactics um, and be able to win those folks back. And look, if Donald Trump is the nominee and he's on the top of the ticket. Uh, th- that could mean real problems for for Republicans and for messaging in a lot of these states with, with a lot of and we'll see who the, the candidates end up being. But, um, you know, Republicans have a lot to sort out in the next two years. Brett, if I could yeah. just make one point quickly, the sure. the I do think, though, that we should not forget the granular uh, nature of some of the problems that they face, uh, the lack of an early vote strategy, which I think a lot of Republicans are now openly reconsidering. Uh, but also, I think the decisions that a lot of these outsider candidates made in terms of the types of campaigns that they ran, which emulated in many ways the Trump approach to politics, heavy social media, heavy earned media, uh, a smaller typical campaign operation. Blake Masters, for instance, is participating in the planned uh, Republican autopsy run uh, that uh, Ron uh, McDaniel has uh, put forward. Uh, he had a campaign manager who had never run a campaign at any level for any office before and isn't even from Arizona. And uh, that creates problems when it comes to state <laughs> trying to win competitive statewide elections that are at the at the center of these uh, kinds of failures these times. A lot of these outsider candidates just didn't have traditional campaigns. And I understand that they want to break the model, but there's certain things that campaigns do because they work. And that's the kind of thing that I think we saw across the board. Campaigns that were successful often often had traditional approaches to doing things with experienced people in charge. The outsider campaigns typically did not. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, Susan, last word here. And that is, Tom mentioned uh, the president's approval rating, and it is low. It's a historic low actually for for him uh back down to where it was uh, a, a ways ago a months ago but uh at the same time he is clicking up uh wins former speaker newt gingrich said you know watch out the biden uh policy agenda is getting wins and there is some wind behind his back with these midterms there is more and more talk that he's officially going to run for re-election and he said he's considering it um, but how do you see the Biden agenda moving forward with a Democratic Senate and a very tight House majority? Um, we don't even know if it's going to be Speaker McCarthy yet or not. You know, you'd have to say that uh, in his first two years, President Biden has been a very consequential president. He's managed to get huge, very expensive and far reaching legislation through Congress, even though he had to, to break up the Build Back Better bill uh, and scale it down. It was still an enormous piece of legislation. He got an infrastructure bill through uh, the COVID relief package early in his presidency. He's gotten big things done, even though he's never been particularly pos- uh, popular. Americans worry about his his age and his vigor. They don't agree with him on, on some of his more liberal policies when you look at the broad expanse of Americans. And yet, and yet he keeps winning. Uh, now, he's about to enter, I think, a more difficult 
chapter of his presidency uh, with Republicans taking over control of the House. We know that Republicans are intent on launching uh, investigations they intend to be embarrassing and serious into his son, into immigration policy, into the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which went so poorly. But, you know, I think the White House folks are feeling pretty good. And if Trump is running, uh, which Trump is, has in fact already announced his campaign, uh, that makes it, I think, much more likely that Biden runs because Biden believes that he is the only Democrat who can defeat Trump. Well, he's the only one who has. That's right. It's um, it's quite a, a, a thing, Ben. I mean, there's a possibility that you have a rematch here, uh, depending on who runs on the Republican side. If there are a lot of people in the race, it it does bode well for a, a former president who needs to get 25 percent or 28 percent of of whatever split of whoever's running. I think it certainly does bode well from him if uh, the field expands uh, significantly. But I would also just point out, and I've said this before, I do believe that it was a mistake for the president to announce uh, the former president to announce as early as he did. Uh, because I think, as we've seen in the in the past couple of weeks, that gives you a longer timeline to take on more water, and you know who knows if you know six to eight months from now there isn't the possibility of the other Florida man uh, jumping into this race because he feels like uh, he represents a change and that people are interested in actually having that on the Republican side. But that all remains to be seen. Right, it all remains to be seen. We'll be talking about it for a long time. Tom, last word is uh, listen. I've talked to Trump supporters who said the president, former president's reaction to the Twitter files, uh, Elon Musk uh, release with these posts on Truth Social about, you know, being installed or another 2020 election being rerun and suspending or uh, putting aside the Constitution in his words. And then another post saying the media is mischaracterizing it. It really was a a tough week and even from Trump supporters who really go out of their way to defend the former president that was uh, a tough one to defend it was and and it allows you know those who who want to see someone else as the Republican nominee the opportunity to say that I mean he's got us if he wants to to win the nomination he has to stop saying things that that give people the opportunity to move away from him, which is exactly what this did. And this was, you know, probably one of the more egregious examples, um, the way that he came out. And again, you know, I tweeted about this at the time. It's it's pretty amazing that, that he takes a situation that's a clear win for him where he can say, you know, I was right about 2020 and, you know, that the proof is there that, that uh, you know, big tech colluded with the Democrats to to rig it for, you know, suppress this story and help rig it for Joe. I mean, that would have been an easy tweet for him to do uh, or post or whatever he's doing now. Um, instead, he goes and says something that that makes it turns it into a political loss and and enrages people and becomes a huge thing. Uh, and to your point, uh, is very, very tough to defend, even for his ardent supporters. And so I think to the extent he keeps doing that, um, he's he's digging himself in a hole that uh, that he may not be able to get out of. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. There's more and more evidence of of the backstory about how that story about Hunter Biden and the laptop was suppressed. Clearly, you know, how how much of an impact does that have? That's yet to be be determined, really looking backwards. But the the election fraud 
um, there has not been any definitive uh, proof of widespread fraud that could affect the outcome of the 2020 election. There have been 72 court cases, and uh, that's where we adjudicate these these things. Um, so it's it's really interesting to follow, and we're going to be obviously talking about it a lot. Panel, thanks so much. Now for a bit of history. On December 6, 1973, the U.S. House of Representatives confirmed Gerald Ford as Vice President of the United States. The Senate had voted to confirm him in the 92 to 3 vote just days earlier. President Richard Nixon nominated Ford to fill the vacancy of the vice presidency after Spiro Agnew resigned from office in an agreement with the Department of Justice to admit invasion of federal income taxes. Uh, Agnew, who uh, was only vice president to ever resign. Gerald Ford would eventually become the first person to ever assume the office of the vice presidency or the presidency without receiving a single vote. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. For Ben, Susan, and Tom, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.